Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Are we alive and well? Okay, good. Um, before I get started, and it's a little loud up here, um, two or three things you probably need to know. Um, if you didn't get an email, we canceled the services yesterday evening about 3 o'clock when it was really pouring it down so heavy. We sent out an email. If you didn't get that, if you, we need to hear from you so that we have a way. Now, if you don't have uh, social media, well, then later on we'll get a telephone thing set up. But if you didn't hear from us, we need to know. Um, that's one thing. Uh, if you've been reading your, your Bible with the, some of the rest of us, I think, uh, because I cheat a little bit, I'm already through the book of Luke, but I think if you're reading a chapter a day, you're probably either in Luke 5 or 6, uh, if, you, if you've kept up to date. Um, <clears throat> then there are a couple of funerals we have this week. There's one tomorrow. Uh, Amelia Steelwell, who's Pat Spriggs' niece, uh, will be buried tomorrow. Uh, her body is at Melcher's, and then a lady and her husband that attended here a long time, both of them have uh, uh, advanced stages of Alzheimer's. Well, she she died, in, but uh, Dee and Faye Morris and Faye's funeral will be Wednesday over at Roberson's in South Shore. So uh, just to kind of keep you up to date when you see those names. We're in the process of talking about the sign there are, in the book of John, there's eight different places where it talks about this is a sign of something. I got to thinking about signs and <clears throat> more than wonders, but mostly about signs. And the only sign that I could think of that goes all the way back to my childhood was, uh, and that was before we had interstate highways. Uh, most of the highways were just two lane, and the and along the highways, uh, nearly all of them, you would have. Um, uh, fence posts and on those fence posts there would be advertisements and the one that was there that we all would read together as we because you didn't drive very fast then and if you had a model a ford like we did you couldn't very, go very fast if you tried but uh, on the fence post there would be uh, a little ditties that would end up saying burma shave the burma shave ads were everywhere and uh, and if you want to read some really, we actually have some, I think. I don't know whether uh, they finally got them up there or not, but Paul and I put, uh, ran some off. And, of the, and those of you who look at the web page, there was some, we, we put them, we, we have them that we may or may not show. Uh, yeah, there's one. His cheek was rough, his chick vamoosed. And she won't come home to roost. Burma shave. And this, this would be it. See, the whale put Jonah down the hatch but coughed him up because he scratched. Talking about the, the whisker. Now, and, and these were everywhere. Weak old bread, so masked his face, his bulldog chased him off the place. Now, you would read, the kids would read these along. I don't know whether anybody ever used Burma shave or not. But everybody knew the term Burma shave. And it goes way back into the early 1900s, and you could see them on the Internet. Anyway, I remembered those and uh, from a kid, and I got to thinking, signs, today there are so many signs that your head just gets fuzzy with them, and it's hard to remember. That, and, but the New Testament, and a lot of what happens when you read the New Testament, you get carried away with the sign and forget what it's pointing at. And you could actually do that, but Burma Shave made sure you didn't. Everybody remembered that term. There wasn't anybody in the United States that ever went anywhere who wasn't aware of at least the term Burma Shave. So uh, what John has done here is he has chosen, uh, he would take advantage of a, uh, Jesus would take advantage of something to use that as an illustration of something about his kingdom. And we'll show you that in just a moment because Jesus' sermon and everything he did was all about the kingdom of God. 
because the Jews misunderstood the nature of the God's kingdom. They thought anybody who was an Israelite was in God's kingdom. Not so. And we have a tendency at times to think that anybody who's a, a member of the church is in God's kingdom. Not so. And we'll see why, how that happens here in just a moment. So when, uh, in order to point at, to the kingdom, there's a passage here in the, in the fourth chapter of John, starting at verse 43, that talks about a guy that wasn't well-liked. He was a big shot, and he was in Herod's court. Herod was hated. He was Jewish, but he was hated. He was a buddy of the Romans. That made him hated. And, uh, and this guy was in his court, and he was a big shot in the court. He lived in, uh, in the north end of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. Actually, if you, were, if you were in Israel today and you were to drive around the Sea of Galilee to get to the north edge right where the, uh, the Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee, you would see the term Kafir Nahum. It's the, the, and that was changed through usage to Capernaum. But it really, the Kafir means the village of Nahum. And, uh, it, and there's an Old Testament. Uh, if you look, if you're aware of the minor prophets, you know that one of the minor prophets' name was Nahum, which is a, a common Jewish name, uh, Israelite name. He, this, this guy lived there. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, there was, and Jesus made Capernaum his headquarters. He moved from, because Nazareth had a, Nazareth had a horrible reputation and uh, of being uh, uh, the home of terrorists, so he, that wasn't good. So he moved his headquarters over to Capernaum, or Kafer Nahum. For those of you who've been to Israel know what I'm talking about. So this, this is the the story of how Jesus used a situation that involved a dying boy and his daddy, who happened to be a big shot, coming to Jesus for help because his reputation was already one of, of a healer. So here's the way it reads. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there, because all the male adults had to get to the Passover in Jerusalem, if possible. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, and Cana is what Matthew talked about last week, where Jesus performed that first miracle in Cana of Galilee of turning the water into wine. And, and a few people got a little upset, said, you know, he's talking about uh, real wine. Well, it, unfortunately, it was real wine. In fact, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll find they use real wine at communion. We chose many years ago not to because we had several alcoholics who attended our church, and we didn't want to give them a sip, you know, and get them, and so they could blame us for getting them back in the sauce. Um, so we use grape juice or fruit of the vine and... Um, but it was real wine because in, in Corinth, they used it at communion, and some of the guys were getting plowed on communion juice. Plowed is Kentucky term for drunk. And you don't get drunk on, uh, on Welsh's grape juice. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this, was heard that Je when, uh, this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, uh, he went to him and begged him to come to heal his son, who was close to death. Now, he walked about, or rode a horse maybe, but he came about 20 miles. It's about 20 miles from Capernaum up to Can uh, the little town of, of Canaan uh, in, in, there in Galilee. Jesus gets irritated with the Jews, and he says, you know, unless you people, you know, you people, see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you'll never believe. The question you need to ask there is, believe what? Or whom? The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. 
When he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Believed what? This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. All right, now, believed what? Remember this, that Jesus' primary sermon title stayed the same. And the title that he gave his apostles to preach stayed the same. He sent out 72 of followers at one time to villages before he got there. And they were to take the same message. What was that message? Well, if you'll look at in the, in the Gospel of Luke in the 10th chapter, Luke tells us exactly what that message was. And, and then we'll see how this uh, sign that he's talking about here plays into that sermon title. Here in the 10th chapter and the 10th verse, it says, well, let's let's start at verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is near. But when you enter a town and you're not welcome, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. His sermon is about the coming kingdom. Israel had failed. They didn't want to hear this. But when Jesus was was performing the miracles that he did, all of those miracles indicated something about the coming kingdom that they needed to know. And in the case of the healing of this high official, the court official's son, the emphasis here is quite clear. When my kingdom comes, and you remember when Jesus told his apostles, they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The coming kingdom. Everything is about the coming kingdom. And in that coming kingdom, he is saying that God, that that, that in that kingdom, it will be life and not death. There's an interesting, uh, if if you like movies, and there's only really two movies that I know of that are worth watching, or two movie stars, that's John Wayne and Clint. And, uh, and, and, and one of the movies that Clint Eastwood is in, I don't remember the name of it anyway, he finally comes head to head with this big old Indian chief, and, and they had to choose whether it would be life or death. And the Indian chief says, it shall be life. In the coming kingdom of God, it not only will be life, there will be no sickness, no death, nothing that leads to death will be there. And since there's nothing that leads to death that will be there, there will be no sin because the wages of sin leads to death. There will be nothing there that, that, that causes death, and so there will be no death. And we'll read that in a minute from the, uh, when we go over into the book of Revelation. When Jesus was starting to preach, uh, and it's recorded, it's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew six thirty three. Uh, there's a passage that gives you a hint, another hint, pretty strong hint, about what the message of Jesus is going to be, what his me- and what our message should be too. And we'll see why a little later on. So here in, the, in verse 33, Jesus says to those who are listening to him preach on the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount it takes place just a few walking minutes from Capernaum, maybe 15 or 20 minutes from Capernaum, there's a hill, 
that leads slopes all the way down to the Sea of Galilee where thousands of people could easily gather and there were villages where they could come to walk there quickly to get to be with him. And Jesus told them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That was the message. Seek God's kingdom. Because you could be an Israelite and not be in God's kingdom. And that's what he was trying to get across to them. Now, so when he healed this Israelite's son, this big politician's son, person that wasn't well-liked, when he healed his son, Jesus was telling them two or three things. Here's what life is going to be like in my And it goes all the way back to Genesis. Because in Genesis 2, who takes a bunch of, a heap of clay and brings it to life? God himself. So Jesus is really saying here to them, you know, if there is life and no death, who can give you life? And he's saying, I just showed you. And the implications are, I'm God. Now that really would upset the Jews. Because they could not entertain the thought that any man could be God. And it's still difficult for us to do that. In the opening passage of the Gospel of John, he actually addresses that subject of, of life itself. He says, and he, goes, and he goes back to Genesis when he says, In the beginning was the word, insert Jesus here. The, the, the Greek word logos. Uh, for word is is logos and and the word was with God and the word was God and they use the word logos rather than Jesus because if you said Jesus was God then you get all kinds of stinking uh, feedback from the Jews and he said he was with God in the beginning meaning that Jesus was at the creation where he gave life to people Without God, there is no life. And without Jesus, there's no eternal life. That's what he's trying to get this message across. And in God's kingdom, there is no death. There is no sickness. There isn't anything that leads to, uh, to it is only life. He said, through him all things were made, and without him nothing, the, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. What is what is the church's primary responsibility for being in existence is to be the light of the world if people want to know who God is they ought to be able to see him in us to the extent that even the lost world out here who are skeptical will press into the kingdom because they're impressed with what they see not what they hear if you want to know what a politician believes Stuff your ears with cotton and just watch. That's the way you know what people are about. If you want to know about the, what people are like, stuff your ears with cotton and watch what you see. If what they do is all about themselves, you got the picture. If what they do is all about is trying to get the message across of who God is and how he has presented himself in the person of Jesus Christ, you got the picture of that too. Because you and I have to make choices about who we listen to, who we follow, who will lead us, and who we can trust to follow. Jesus used signs and wonders to point to the kingdom, and he also uses it to vindicate his messiahship. Because there were messiah, false messiahs that came just like there are false prophets and false teachers today who are primarily interested in what you will give them and what they can get rather than what they can give. You're not, you know, uh, when you look here at the scripture and you just follow the scripture, you can see one of the powerful proofs that Jesus is who he claimed he is is through the fulfillment of prophecy. If I were to tell you something today that's going to happen two years from now and it happened just exactly like that, you would come to the conclusion that I've got some insight into some things. What God did, because he knows we're like that, what God did is he 
had Isaiah 700 years before Jesus to make a prophecy about what the coming Messiah would look like and what he would do. 700 years. You can read about that in, um, in Isaiah 7. And then it's because uh, he talks about his birth there. And then in Luke 2, he actually then tells us, I don't know whether that comes on the screen, whether you got that to put on the screen or not. But in, um, in, in Isaiah, he talks about that, uh, that, that a virgin will give birth or a young woman would give birth to a child. And, uh, and that, that's going to be a sign. And, and you'll call his name, you call his name God with us. Because the word Emmanuel means God with us. So he was sending the message that God is going to show up in the form of this baby one of these days. And he made that prediction 700 years before Jesus was born. And then in fulfillment of that prophecy, you go to the second chapter of Luke. And then Luke says, here's the fulfillment of that prophecy. Just as it was given in Isaiah to be assigned to you, you'll find the babe wrapped in, clo- in swaddling clothes. And all babies were wrapped in swaddling clothes. That wasn't the issue. The issue to the, for the, and this was the message that went, came to the, uh, to the guys taking care of the sheep, the shepherds out in the field of Bethlehem there, the, 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 the message was not that he would be wrapped in swaddling clothes because all babies were washed either in salt water or in some instance if they didn't have salt water they'd just take salt and rub on the baby to get the baby clean and as a disinfectant and then and and but the issue here was that the baby was going to be laying in a feed trough. Now I was raised on a farm, I know what a feed trough is. We, you made sure that you put some corn with, and if you really, if the cow was a little ticklish, you put blackstrap molasses on it, and she was so absorbed with eating that stuff that she wasn't paying any attention to you when you were back there getting milk. And if the old cow had gone through a briar patch, and her udder was was cut with some briars, uh, you better you better be careful because you'll kick your head off when you start milking because it hurt. But if she was obsessed with the blackstrap molasses on the on the cracked corn that she was chewing on, uh, it was safer. That, that's a little bit in case you ever get into a pickle like that. You'll need to know that, you know. But the powerful it seems to me that a powerful proof of the what of the message of who Jesus was was the fulfilling of that prophecy. And this isn't the only Micah has several I mean there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that's going to tell you who Jesus was. What they couldn't what they couldn't get their arms around though, they couldn't believe. Because people make up their mind to what they believe and then they try to interpret the scripture in in light of what they say they already believe rather than letting the scripture tell them what they should believe. And that's a danger for people. That's one of the reasons there's so many divisions in in the church today. Now, what you need to know is that the Bible makes it abundantly clear, just as God has given signs to point to what he wants you. Now, don't get obsessed with the sign. Don't get obsessed with the healing of that boy. Because if you did, you missed the point. The healing of that boy was point to the, what life is going to be like under the Messiahship of Jesus in his coming kingdom. That's what he was pointing to. Everything pointing to that. Satan is clever. Don't underestimate the power of the devil. It's just a serious mistake. And you see a lot of these Pentecostal primarily preachers and meaning well, they just say, Satan, you take a hike, Satan, you take... Be careful taking on Satan one-on-one. Be very careful. Even an archangel didn't do it in the book of Jude. Because... It's you're just playing with fire. So, and and so the Bible says to people like you and me, you need to be on your toes to be able to discern between what is the real and what is a fake, because Satan is really good at faking religion. The coming man of sin is going to be a religious leader for heaven's sakes. And Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light, the children of the scriptures say. So we have to have a way of determining what is the real thing and what isn't. 
I've already given you a hint. Plug your ears and watch. Plug your ears and watch. Because Jesus has, has, has given us some heads up, and we'll talk to that, about that in a minute. Signs and, and, and if there's, I don't know whether you, any of you are reading the Old Testament or not, but if you go to the Old Testament in the seventh chapter of the book of Exodus, Moses is coming before Pharaoh, whom he knew well, and he's performing signs and wonders to get Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go free and go to the land that God has promised them, he says, that flows with milk and honey. Pharaoh is very, is not impressed. He knows Moses from the time he was a child. He's not impressed with that. So Moses says to his friend, to his brother Aaron, throw down your, throw down your staff. And that sucker turns into a snake. And you say, well, how did that happen? Interesting enough, then what happens? Pharaoh says to his magicians, can you do that? He called his, you know, the people who handled his religious life. And they did the same thing. Now Moses, or Aaron's snake ate the other one, so there was a little bit of who wins who. But he didn't quit there. He says, okay, now then we've done that. Let's see. Uh, because, you see, earlier on in the fourth chapter, God had showed Moses all of these things that he's going to do. And some way or another, they're going to make the water turn to blood by pouring something in it. And, and so he says, okay, Moses says, that, let's see you do that. Pharaoh calls these guys in. They did the same thing. He called, and again, they tried... We're going to have a plague of frogs. Now, that doesn't bother me much because we used to love to gig frogs and eat frog legs as a kid on the farm. Now, for the city folks, that's a delicacy. Did you ever see anybody cook frog legs? You probably haven't. Did you know that while you're cooking them, they crawl around in the pan, those muscles in the frog, and you eat that? You must be hungry. <laughs> then something happened. And this is something strange, and I don't know the answer to it. The next thing they did is they said, okay, you're going to have a plague of gnats. But for some reason or other, Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers couldn't, couldn't duplicate the gnats. But notice this. The first three or four things they tried, they did do. So this is a hint to you. Satan's guys are capable of performing impressive signs and wonders. And the New Testament talks about that. Listen to this now, because it's here in plain language, but for some reason or other, uh, people want to kind of ignore what they don't want to see. In the 13th chapter, and we'll go two different places, in the 13th chapter uh, of Mark, in verse 22, he says... For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were very possible. Satan has the capacity to do things that are truly impressive. And I remember growing up when we first got an old black and white TV, Zenith TV, and sat in there and we thought we were rich people. You'd watch it, and there was a guy there named Oral Roberts, and he would be doing all of this stuff, you know, all of this stuff, all this stuff. And I could go into that. Only thing he says is in verse 23. So be on guard. Just because they can do these things doesn't mean that they're legitimate servants of God. Because Satan has the capacity. Now, and, and Paul saw a lot of that stuff going on. And he actually repeats that very word of caution in, in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter here in verse 9. He says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
Satan has the capacity to do religious things that impress people. And we have to have a way of discerning which is from God and which isn't. I'll give you a hint. There's one thing Satan can't do. Absolutely cannot do. He can't love. He can't love. And he's incapable of self-denial. And so Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you must be willing to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. Because the term of following him was, after Jesus had been to the cross, it was take up the cross, the crusades, take up the cross. Everything about taking up the cross. And so he was saying, if you're going to be a follower, if you're going to be a leader in the church, now, let me, let me put some things out to you that ought to get your attention. A few years ago, there was a church, in, generally in our area, who asked the people, put $5,000 or whatever the amount was, it seems to me like it was $5,000, on your credit card so that we won't, so we can get rid of the church debt. And there were people who left that church who were not Christians, who were in the building, who were not Christians, who will never, ever go back to church. I've talked to them. Because if you close your ears and just watch what was going on, what were they really interested in? I think it's called the love of money is the root of all evil. Even here in town, a few years ago, there was a, a church that said, put X amount of dollars on your credit card. And the, they had money running out their ears. I mean, they had rich people there. So where was the self-denial? So Jesus is saying, here's a heads up. If you want to know who's legitimate and who isn't, you look and see who's after mammon in King James or money. If all of the influence is after money, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I was told just recently that there were people asking people in the church for $10,000. We live in an area here where, I mean, there may be some people around who can afford it. I ain't one of them. Here's the heads up. Self, Jesus says, here's the way you evaluate things. Folks, there's only been, I, I'm going to brag a little, there's only been two times in the history of this church that I know about that I had anything to do with where we asked for a special offering to help people. And I'll just call names. Wally Head had lost his job. That's when head insurance and so on and so on. And he had a house in Wheelersburg, and he was back three months on his house payments. We put a little thing up on the communion table and told people exactly what was going on and said, if you got some extra, put in there. And Tim Doyle took the money then to the bank and paid off that And next six months. I mean, it was quite a bit of money. I think you'd have to ask Tim what was that because I don't remember. But that was one. The other was when a little child down on 4th Street was hit by a car, and they didn't have any insurance and we took up some money and gave to them. They went here to church. We sure aren't perfect. But one of the things that always impressed me about Billy Graham, he was offered a salary increase by his board on a routine basis. They handled millions and millions and millions of dollars and his salary was he said I will cap it at 75000 and I don't want another dime one of the preachers that, that uh, Matthew likes real well is a young guy down in Texas and we've been listening to his DVs on, at the men's meeting on Saturday morning some of you guys ought to show up for that. The donuts are good. The coffee is so-so because Ralph makes, he doesn't make coffee. He makes blacktop. And, but anyway, you know, we have a good time together there for an hour. You would enjoy being with us. And uh, 
I saw Matt. Matt, are you back here somewhere? What's the preacher's name in Texas? Matt Chandler. I knew it was something he remembered. Matt Chandler. And anyway, he told his congregation, and his congregation, I mean, he got Sunday school classes bigger than our church. I don't know. They have thousands of people who show up. And he says, cap mine at 50,000. I don't want any more than that. And the reason for that is he's well aware of the fact that the desire for money, and if we've got these young folks here from uh, Uganda, and there are lots of guys there in Uganda who want to become preachers because it's a source of income rather than. And, and I mean, everybody that go, every male that goes to a church wants to be a pastor, wants to be a pastor, wants to be a pastor. But nobody told them. And, and when, when I addressed them, there's about several hundred of the, of the preachers that I was addressing. And I addressed this very subject. You should never live above the people in your congregation. There were three or four preachers there from mega churches. I mean, where they have thousands of people who do it wouldn't come back. Because they showed up in a Mercedes in Uganda. That should give you a heads up. That should give you a heads up. We need to be aware of the fact that religion, the Bible teaches that there are those who go into the world of religion because it is a source of money. Now you say, well, where does the Bible teach that? Well, I'm getting ready to tell you. If you go into 1 Timothy in the 6th cha chapter and verses, let's see here, back up here. It's talking about the love of money, starting at verse 3 of chapter 6. If anyone teaches false doctrine that does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ to, uh, and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, constant friction between men of corrupt minds, who have been robbed of the truth, who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. The problem has always been there, and it's here today. So what, what the New Testament teaches for you and I is that when you see people who's primarily interested in themselves and financial gain, and you can see how they use the money, it gives you a heads up of whether they're trustworthy to follow or not. That's very important for you to get through that. That's a sign that he has given us so we'll be on our toes. The sad thing is that a lot of people will not believe unless they see these, uh, these special religious stuff. The New Testament teaches that you're saved by faith. That means having confidence or trusting in what the Bible tells you as it's presented. Moses was that way. Believe it or not, he was. God now here's God approaching Moses and saying, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of captivity. I want you to, I, I want you to go before Pharaoh, and I want and, and Moses says, He ain't gonna listen to me. We don't get along. He got a hit out on me. And God says, and he said, and they won't pay any attention to me. And, he, and God says, Yeah, they will. Moses says, Well, why would you say that? Take a look, Mose. Put your hand in your shirt. Pull it out. He had leprosy. Hey, Mose, stick your hand back in your shirt. Pull it out. It's gone. Mose says, ain't bad. What else you got? <laughs> you see... He wasn't willing, and there were two or three others. He did the snake thing, and he did the, uh, the, the uh, blood thing there for him. And, and, and Moses was impressed with that because he wasn't willing to take God at his word. He had to have a show. And Jesus, you know, the apostle Paul condemns people for that. You, if you look carefully in 1 Corinthians, in the very first chapter, because the Corinthian church don't, in the very first chapter, he tells him, he says, Jews, and this is verse uh, 22, 
Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. And that word wisdom, don't be careful with that. It means who's smarter than the other guy. They actually had people who came to town who, you know, who were, that was their show. Let me show you how smart I am. We have people who did the same thing. Ohio State had a, a great, a, probably the best basketball player they ever had was able to do that. He can memorize a page in a phone book. I can't memorize one number and remember it until I get home. But I take the phone book with me. That works just as well. So anyway, the New Testament is very clear about that. Now, the ultimate sign that Jesus gives for belief was the resurrection. Actually, his apostles who traveled with him heard him all the time, asked him the questions for three years, didn't buy it. And Jesus was saying, look, I'm not going to give anybody the sign except the sign of Jonah. Well, what the heck's that? We're going fishing? Because some of them were fishermen. What is the sign of Jonah? How long was he in the belly of the whale? Three days. How long was Jesus in the belly of the earth? Three days. The sign of Jonah, the resurrection. That's the ultimate sign. And yet, Jesus says, and, and it's here in the New Testament, that doesn't always work. Jesus actually said this. There are some that they won't believe even if they see a resurrection. So what did Jesus do? He showed them that he could have power over death. And with and the, the one <coughs> excuse me, one that stands out the most was with his friend who was die, who had died a few, few furlongs outside of the wall city of Jerusalem. <coughs> excuse me. I took a dryer up ahead of time. I thought I'd get by without uh, but these coughs come in handy because it gets your attention. Anyway, uh, Jesus, the ultimate expression of that was when Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. He was really, he wasn't showing off. He was trying to teach even the closest of his circle, in my kingdom, God will not permit sin, sickness, or death. That's what you have to look forward to. And if you really want it clearly stated, you go to the last chapter, because most of the stuff in Revelation, thank you, Matt, you're not in the will yet, but you're getting there. When you go over in where uh, the Apostle John, who was telling him, it's his eight signs are written in the Gospel of John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And this is in the 21st chapter. And he's talking about when Jerusalem is renewed. Because everybody has a hang up about the Jerusalem. He said, look, when, when, when heaven comes to earth, after God cleanses it with fire and, and gets it all cleaned up and gets rid of all the crap that's here that we put here, and, and, there'll be, and, and heaven will come to earth and there we'll be here eternally in the new Jerusalem. Here's what he says. Now, let, this is pretty, pretty simple. He says, now when that happens, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from your eye. Now get hit. Why? Well, the tears disappear. They will be, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, I'm going to be there. And death will be eliminated. And the causes of death will be eliminated. And when he healed that boy's, what that guy's little boy, he was giving them the first sign of what life was going to be like in his kingdom. Because here's what's going to happen. You and I are going to die in the flesh. But because of faith in Jesus Christ, we had the promise and the hope that to be absent from this body releases us to be present with the Lord and we'll never be separated from him again. And we are told 
that wherever God is in total control, life is really, really good. Israel was a mixed multitude. There were people, not near as many as you might think, who were actually in the kingdom. Do you remember in the, <coughs> excuse me, when Elijah was on the mountain there with the prophets of Baal? I mean, it was quite a show. He was on the prophet, and, and, and he just wiped them out, man. And then Jezebel got involved. Wicked women, man. And, and he took off running like a, Scared tomcat. I mean, he went, he went along like a hundred and something, like a hundred miles, at least ninety down into the, the the desert, where Moses had gotten the law, way down in the middle of nowhere, from Samaria, in the valley of Jezreel, all the way down there. And he said, "God, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm the only one left in all of Israel who hasn't bowed their knee to Baal." Newsflash: There's seven thousand who haven't bowed their. Now that sounds impressive. Out of hundreds of thousands. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, but they'll say, We performed signs and wonders and did all these good religious things. We did those. And He will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. It's important for us to know the difference. If you see self-denial, you got a hint. If you see love, which involves self-denial. Love says, I have it, you need it, you got it. No strings attached. We're not attached to things, and the things that we have, we hold very loosely. They're not ours anyway, because Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and these, this stuff. I'll provide all you need. Now, that's hard for us to take, because we're raised to believe, you know, my mama taught us just the opposite. Blessed is he who toots his own horn, for it shall be well tooted. You know, work, earn, keep. If somebody else needs it, tell them to go to work. That's the way I was raised. And now I read the Bible and, he's, and says, your mother was wrong. Who's going to tell me my mother's wrong? She never said she was wrong until she died. Daddy said she was. But she wasn't around when he said it. What's it like in the kingdom of God? And are you a part of the kingdom? See, the church is given a false idea out here. If you're on the church roll, you're on God's roll. The sad thing is that that is deceitful. You want to make sure you're on God's roll because the church, like Israel, was a mixed multitude. And God has always relied on a faithful few. Because he said, the way to damnation is broad and wide, crowded, and easy. You just accept the standards of the world. You know, work for yourself. Tell that guy if he needs it, go to work. Standards of the world. And Jesus said, my people have the same kind of compassion that I have. This guy was a politician. He was probably a crook, but his son was dying. And I gave him a hand. And I didn't even send him a bill. 
We need to plug our ears and watch what we see. And if you don't see the principles of the kingdom of God here, you need to go find someplace that does. Because those who belong to the kingdom of God and have been added to his church role are the ones who go to heaven. That's the reason in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, and I'm ready to quit, Peter preached his first sermon and thousands of people were baptized. And it, then the scripture, Luke adds this, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. He's got his role. Are you on it? You better make sure. And you'll find that out by reading the scriptures and being on your knees and getting guidance from the Holy Spirit because we're so easily deceived. If you're here this morning and you're not on God's roll, get on it. You can get the, roll, you can get the ball rolling right where you're sitting by just repenting of your sins and saying, Lord, forgive me. And add me to your role because I sure want to participate in your kingdom when it comes. So, Lord, we pray that you will dismiss us with your richest favor. Thank you for melting away the snow and allowing us to gather here safely this morning. Help us, Father, not to be deceived, but to see clearly what the signs are that come from you. We pray in Jesus' name, and all the people said, you're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.